everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast that is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life. And what next steps do you want to take to get there? I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 110. For those who are new and here for the first time, welcome to you. And for those who are back, for everyone, if you like what you hear, I invite you to subscribe and follow the show so that you do not miss an episode. Imagine every Tuesday morning, a fresh new episode of I Dare You arrives and you are ready for the week. Every episode, great guests. In episode 110, we are bringing it again because our guest is none other than Dr. Dana Sinclair. Now, Dr. Sinclair is a performance psychologist. Dana Sinclair is a registered psychologist and she holds doctorates from the University of Cambridge and University of Ottawa. She's also a clinical assistant professor within the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia and a member of the American Psychological Associations. And she is simply the best at teaching concepts and strategies that allow you to manage your emotions in high-pressure moments. Ever have those? I know I do. Dr. Sinclair works with professional athletes and teams in the NFL, Major League Baseball, WNBA, NHL, IndyCar, PGA, the Olympics. But beyond that, people like all of us. Students, executives, parents, coaches, surgeons, performance artists, actors, musicians, and more. I think you're getting what we're laying down here that all of us, in all industries, all vocations, and in life, we all deal with high-pressure situations. And what if we could do our best when it matters most? Wouldn't that be something? Well, this episode addresses that head-on because Dr. Sinclair is the author of a brand new book called Dialed In, Do Your Best When It Matters Most. I had so much fun meeting Dana and getting this perspective on what high performers do and a mindset that we all can implement. What can you expect to learn in this interview? You're going to learn about how to get calmer in high-pressure situations. We're also going to talk about the F word, which is fear. What is it, and how do we get out of our own way? And finally, you're going to learn about how confidence is overrated and how character trumps talent. Okay, with that as a setup, I say let's not wait a second longer. She is here in the I Dare You podcast. I hope you're ready to get dialed in at what matters most to you. Here, everyone, is Dr. Dana Sinclair. Dana, welcome to the podcast. It is such a treat having you on the show. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this, Darren. Okay, Dana, you are a performance psychologist. Do I have that phrase right? You do. Okay. So first off, what exactly is that? And then while you have the floor, how did you get into that vocation? Well, my job is a bit under the radar, so I do have to explain myself often. So I'm a psychologist, but I specialize in performance. So I got into this because I used to uh, play on a national team and I loved competing at a high level. And I, over time, saw the impact that the mindset had on talent. So I ended up kind of cruising into this career. I didn't really plan it very well. I started off as an Aggie and then ended up in psychology. So there you have it. So the, the, I, I heard an interview with you where you were talking about your career path. And when we're talking to others about finding that ideal thing, what lights you up, it's find your passion. And once you find your passion, then focus there. In the interview that I heard from you, you had a bit of a different take where it was about stopping and starting new things. And I'm paraphrasing wildly, but what advice can you give us about finding what really lights you up and where you should focus your your energy? Yeah, I think if you find something right away and you know what lights you up, of course, go for it. But a lot of people take a little time with that. And I think we're told often, 
you have to find a passion. And then if you don't have a passion, what do you do? I think passion often comes from trying something, liking it or getting good at it. And then when you're really good at something, you tend to like it. So I just like to not go with the full passion side of things with a lot of people because I don't want to make them feel that, oh my gosh, I'm lost. Passion comes from a variety of things. And if you don't like something or you're not all that good at it, stop it, move somewhere else, try it again. Yeah. It took me a while to get to where I was going. I really like what I'm doing now. Yeah, I can tell. I was on your Instagram and I I, I must tell you, uh, Dana, I want I want your life. I do. I see you on the sidelines of football games and the tennis courts in locker rooms and strength training rooms, dugouts. And you work with a lot of really cool high performers in NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, WNBA, TGA, IndyCar, Olympians. How did that come about for you? How did you find it? I found it early, I guess. You know, again, back to this passion, I did work in the hospitals for a number of years and in get this reproductive psychiatry, postpartum depression, very fulfilling career. But I sort of drifted back to sport and the fun of performance. So that's when I joined my husband in our in our business, and I sort of took the performance side of things. And once you're in the performance side, you, you know you do a lot of the the sport work. But then I realized that it applies to everyone and everything, and you know started to do talks with. Uh, groups of surgeons or students trying to take exams. And it just kind of morphed into, hey, I can apply this to anything performance related because we all perform. We all want to be good at what we do. It's just hard to find it sometimes in the pressure moments. So that's where I got interested in just helping people in those pressure moments, because most people are doing pretty well every day and all along the way, thank you very much. They don't need somebody like me infusing themselves into their lives. But when it comes to those meaningful moments, there's a difference. You've got to sort of approach it a little differently. Right. There is. So these pressure moments and uh, everyone, Dana just mentioned it, that it's for everybody and you're generally doing pretty well in most cases. Uh, and Dana, in my view, I want your take on this. You don't need to be pitching in the World Series to have that's not the moment. It could be every single day when you're on that Zoom meeting and you know that you need to make a comment and it's coming up next. And then that's, to me, one of those moments that we all go through. You agree, disagree? Absolutely. We have those, everybody has those moments throughout their week. You're not thinking about these things isn't a good way to handle it. It's knowing how to control that tension when those moments do arise. It could be talking to your boss, talking to your spouse, trying to get your kid to do something. It's about being able to sort of control that tension, get calmer or you know calm-ish so that you can actually think and stay focused on what you're doing. You know, I have, uh, generally speaking, I tend to be uh, roll right along during the week and I feel like I'm, I'm dialed in. Uh, uh, and we're going to talk about your new book called Dialed In, but I really feel, but yet there's one individual, I'm not going to give any detail. <laughs> there's one individual, when I talk to that individual, it is like my mind just goes crazy. <laughs> it's like I complete, I turn into a completely different person. With that little morsel of information, Dana, what am I, what am I going through? Well, you're hitting your hot spots. So there are certain things that distract all of us and knowing what those are is pretty important. So you know what your hotspot is. 
which is great when this person is in in the room or in your zone. And what happens to you? Your tension goes up. Yeah. Then your mind shifts on over to all the perhaps things that could happen or the negative or yes. the result of this interaction. And then you're no longer calm enough to be your normal, wonderful self. Well, you nailed it. That's exactly that's exactly what I'm going through. So I talked about it dialed in. You are the author of a brand new book. Congratulations. Dialed in. Be your best when it matters most. So congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. It's so, nice to have done it. Yeah. So tell me about the, I'm always interested in the title and the subtitle. So it is do your best when it matters most. Talk to me about the do your best part. Why was that such an important part of the subtitle? Because I don't, well, I didn't want people to think they had to be some world-renowned high performer to be able to use this information. Too many people don't get access to this type of information that is practical, easy to use. And I wanted to make sure people had access to it. It's good. That's a good motivation for writing a book. And if I'm looking here at the Zoom, I look a little bit tired. And that's because I was up late last night reading your book. It is so good. It is like having that performance coach with you in your pocket. You really did a great job of outlining this. So tell me more, though, about why did you decide to write this book right now? And I'm asking because you've got 20 years of experience and you could have written about anything related to your work. And But why this particular piece and why right now? I think after all this experience that I've gained and things that I've learned along the way, as I say, I saw finally sort of a clear process for this that not didn't just apply to my clients. It applied to kids taking exams. As we say, anybody in the C-suite, parents, whomever. And it was starting to, I guess, occupy my thoughts that this wasn't out there accessible for people. That's really why I did it. And I actually love to see people perform well. And, you know, I could see little tweaks that people could make that would make a difference. And that's why perform your best when it matters most. It's only the pressure moments that I'm mostly concerned about. As I say, people are pretty good. People are talented. It's just they get upset with themselves when they falter in those tough moments. And again, I love to see people get over those tough little moments because it doesn't take as much as they think. And we tend to complicate our performances. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, your your office, I mean, you're clearly, you've got a, you, you live in Toronto and you have yes. an office there, but where where do you do this work? I mean, the moments don't necessarily happen in your office, correct? Not very often, uh, <laughs> especially the last few years. No, it's it's usually on site. So with it's a sports team, it's, you know, sidelines or on the, the bus on the way to the game or um, even at, you know, at, in meal rooms, uh, dinner parties, just I have to be able to help people in quick moments. So often I'll have five to 15 minutes just to help somebody pull it together before they step on the stage, whatever that stage is, which is why I think it's so important to, you know, have a concise way to manage your emotions under the pressure. So that's all it is, managing those emotions. So when you're actually working with someone in the bus or in the dugout, and uh, I, I personally, maybe it's my own you know, pop psychology, but someone needs to be ready for the coaching in order to make the change. And 
when you're working with individuals, these are individuals that are looking at you directly and saying, Dana, help me. Or, yes. or do you just kind of, you know, develop relationships and you're just the, that, that ever present person and help me understand that. Both, both. So when I say be, you know, when I'm brought into a team, say an NFL team yeah, and, you know, I get a chance to talk to the whole team just to introduce myself and tell them what I do. Uh, then it's incumbent upon me really to make them comfortable because a lot of times people look at me and think, well, what, well, it's the dreaded psych lady. What does she want? <laughs> but I tend to hang around and, you know, just chit chat, get, I get to see them perform. We talk about what's happening on the field or on the court and, you know, it just becomes some connection. And then People like to talk about how they're doing and what they're doing. And I love to talk to them about what they're doing and how they're doing. So often it's like that. Sometimes it's more structured and I go into an organization and, you know, have to have a meeting with everybody. But again, I don't push it. It's, it's got to it's gotta be a little bit organic. You know, people have to want it. And sometimes they do push it away. But after a while, they often circle back around and we have a nice conversation. Good. Good. Oh, I was just going to say that I was at uh, actually my book launch last week and a former athlete, Olympic athlete came and uh, it was great to, to see her. Uh, and she was ended up, ended up talking to my husband who came back and told me later that he was laughing at her story. She said to him, you know, when I first met Dana, when she was with the team, I didn't want to talk to her. I wasn't going to talk to her. They made me sit down and talk to her. And you know what? That conversation changed the way I approached my mindset with with the national team, with my, my comp competitive performances. So that was just really funny that she would say that. So. That's so good. You know, I was on your Instagram and I saw the video clips, a reel of that book launch, and I was scanning the audience saying, okay, who do I see? Who, who do I know? And I, I wasn't able to identify any faces, but do you remember that conversation with her by chance? I'm just curious. I don't. Yeah. I remember it taking a moment to get the connection, but uh, I, all I remember is we had a, a great relationship over the years. I just think that's interesting. The number of people that all of us, we all have influence over others. And uh, just well, one of the themes in your book that I really uh, appreciate was your focus on listening and listen longer. And I just, I just think to be able to listen to somebody, actively listen is such a compliment and such an affirmation of who they are. And I'm not sure if it happens often enough. And I wonder, Dana, how does just listening longer make a difference on others? It is one of the best things you can do for yourself and for somebody else. But what it does, it just gives you the time and space to interpret what the other person is saying more closely to probably how they mean it. We jump, we start thinking about our own responses before the person's finished. We start making things up, you know, in our minds before we've even heard what the person is saying. It leads to reactions, defensive behaviors, and not a very good interaction. So a lot of things get missed if you don't listen. And I'm not saying you have to listen all the time. As you mentioned, just a little bit longer, like five seconds longer to really hear what the person's saying. Then you can make a better decision. In most cases, I think that's a great takeaway for everyone today. 
Uh, this is one of those things you can put into practice today. If you're driving to work or with the kids or whatever, wherever you are, just practice that today. Listen longer. Uh, maybe it's a few seconds and just formulate that thought and uh, try that today. Just go ahead and practice that. You know, uh, Dana, uh, speaking of athletes, one of the, in your book, there's a, a, I guess, a quote or a reference. I forget what it's called in the book, but um, from Don Mattingly. And Don Mattingly is like a hero of mine. And so right there, I was like, okay, this is, this is the real, real deal. Uh, you've definitely have made, made an impact. Your approach over these years, uh, one of the things that, that I picked up for your approach is, and you even, you even asked me this question, but figure out what gets in your way. What have you found of these high performers, whether you're a world-class athlete or you're a surgeon or you're in business, what gets in people's way, these high performers? What is it? You'd be surprised at how similar the bucket of hotspots or distractions are. So really? when I'm asking people, okay, we've got to figure out, you know, what messes you up. Number one, results. People always jump ahead to how it's going to turn out. Okay? That's a big one. Uh, fear, doubts, self-criticism, uh, tension, lack of mental preparation, you know, just thinking, oh, I'll just give it a go, leave it to chance. We'll see what happens, okay? Um, you know, expectations, trying to be perfect, what other people are going to think. Those are the big ones. And then all sorts of things hang off from there. But the list that I'll even show people, hey, here's what people say. People can tick off 20 of these things. Mm -hmm. But the point is, we've all got things that can bother us in the moment, but Take a moment to actually figure out what are your top two or three? What are your super derailers? What are the things you really have to pay attention to? Because the other ones, yeah, they bother you, but they don't necessarily derail you. When you find out what actually gets in the way, then we can get a plan to get around it. Mm -hmm. And then once you get a plan to get around those top two or three, the other ones just sort of dissipate because those weren't really in the way in the first place. These top three are. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about fear. I think in the book, you call it the F word. And yeah. these are these are these simple worries that get in our way and can derail us. But how do we how do we take steps to face the fear, to move past that? I know I'm looking for the simple solution and it's not, but tell me a little bit more about fear. It probably is more simple than people think, though. Yeah. Because you tend to complicate all of this. As <laughs> we get we get caught in that bucket of hot spots or derailers and they you know they could be a hundred things long and we get caught up in those things that may happen but probably won't and never have or never will but we get caught up in them anyway so we get caught up in how we feel which takes us away from what we're trying to do in the moment right? so there are skills to pull yourself out of that bucket of how you feel but the fear thing the number one thing about fear is i think we have to face them. If you want to get any better, you have to have the courage to face those two or three things that are stopping you. And it's not that hard. So that is that fit right into the old quote about um, getting out of your comfort zone or is, am I being just lazy connecting that dot? Well, no, that, that makes sense. But it's hard to get out of your comfort zone if you don't know what to do. Very good. Very good. Of course. So if you have a plan and you, I think this mental, you know, the mindset work, again, I say work because everybody says work. I don't think it's work. 
I think it's just being a little bit smarter about it. Mm-hmm. So again, trying to pull out those two or three things that, ah, I've got to, I've got to sort of tweak a little bit here. It's not an overhaul. It's a tweak. You know, um, you said it uh, just now and it's in your book. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you do. And it's that, it's that action, what I'm hearing loud and clear from you. Yeah, for sure. And I remember being, uh, doing a talk to, uh, you know, baseball players for the team in the, in the clubhouse. And one of the uh, coaches was there and former player, big time player. And we were walking down the hall and he said, you know what? I just figured out what I did, like why I, you know, I never expected myself to be anything. And he won a batting title. And he said, what I, I did the do. That's why, that's why I became successful is because I, somehow was able to get calmish and do the do in the moment. So that's why, I mean, I laughed, of course, because that was perfect. It's just like, forget how you feel, yeah. you get to the do. It's a great point. And I want to talk also about related to that is this, is this aspect of confidence. And I know, I know, uh, I work with an individual that is really the most confident guy and he's just really, really confident. And, and I think that confidence tends to get in his way because in a high pressure in a high pressure moment he tends to derail him so I'm thinking of actually on stage presenting that's the high pressure moment I'm, I'm thinking of where um, I will be carefully going through the speech and my talking points he will not because he's so confident but yet when he's in the moment it doesn't seem to go very well and um, in your book you talk about confidence versus talent could you tell me a little bit of what you've seen about high performers related to confidence and talent Yes. Well, as I say, talent doesn't ensure success. The mindset does. If your mindset is cluttered, you're not going to be able to get to your talent. So it typically happens in these situations, say with your your colleague. Yes, he's feeling good about it and knows what to do. But in the moment when your tension goes up a little bit and you're not prepared to get back to the task, you can derail, even though you might be good at what you do. So I'm thinking of a major league pitcher who was supremely talented would roll through the regular season no problem competent felt good knew what to do excellent kept his tension under control sure get to the playoffs and guess what tension jumps up and he's not used to it because he really wants this so he's excited but his tension's up he doesn't notice he does not perform and he doesn't want to hear that, okay, it's your mindset because he's a confident guy and he's very good, but being good and performing well is just as distracting as performing poorly because guess what? Hey, I'm good. I feel good about this. I'm still on performance. I'm still thinking about my results. So I'm not on what I'm actually doing. So whether you're thinking about your results and performance because it's bad or it's good, it's still distracting. So. Mm-hmm got to have something pre-planned to pull yourself back to in the moment, which is what your colleague probably just needs. In in terms of confidence, that is a big topic in my private practice. Well, it's a big topic with anybody. I find that people love to talk about confidence and it's usually because they're worried they don't have enough or they're supposed to have more. Or And I'm, I'm constantly telling people, don't worry about the confidence. That will come if we do certain things. It's overrated. You might want it but you don't need it. 
So I'm thinking about a particular example, um, an American Idol contestant. I got a call from her after her first audition. She got through and I was thinking she was going to be so excited. She was freaking out. She was not happy. Uh, I'm not I'm not confident. I can't do this. Everybody's so much better than me. Uh, all of this stuff. And I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't you just get through the audition? Well, yes. Well, how did you do it? Oh, um, well, I do have a really good voice. Okay. <laughs> so again, it was her talent. And even through the freakouts, she got to her talent and we had to work on what she had to do to not worry about the confidence. So, you know, we came up with how to calm down and what she needed to think about in the moment during the task. So once she got to those specifics, she could go to those things instead of, you know, being in that hotspot zone, freaking out. So it, it worked out. But as I say, I caution people about confidence all the time. Once you focus on what you're doing and, and get uh, do a decent job, you're going to feel better. And guess what? Oh, confidence will come. But it's not confidence first. Don't worry about it. That's a great point. That's really good. Start start somewhere else and the confidence will follow is what I'm hearing in that. Stick with the do, forget how you feel. That's great. Now, one thing that I respect about this book, again, 20 years of experience, but this is, this is a proven approach, field-tested type approach and skills that you have here. This is not theory, which I, <laughs> I just really appreciated. Part one is about that approach. And part two, you then shift gears into the how. And again, pretty, pretty cool to, to get that insight from you. But one of the ones that you talked about is get calm and stay calm. Yes. And you write in the book, I love this skill. I talk about it all the time to anyone who will listen. I'm listening. Tell me about get calm and stay calm. If there's one thing you want to do to get to your best in the moment, and again, it doesn't have to be the world's best, your best or better. It's getting calm-ish. Like, you know, would you like to be super calm? Great. On a scale of one to 10, would you like to be one or two? Sure. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Five and below, that's all good stuff. But being able to settle yourself, soothe yourself in the moment so you can think, huge skill. And it's, again, something we don't often think about, but it's just, it's just basic learning how to consciously breathe a little bit when you need to, just to take it down a notch or two. You don't have to be Zen, just calmish. So how would I how would I go about doing that? Let's say I am uh, going on stage here in about twenty five minutes. The room is filling up with people. Uh, my nerves are just taking over, and I need to go stand up and give a five minute type talk. Um, I need to get calm ish. What might I do? Well, one skill is just the breathing, and it's just I call breathe it out. So learning to slow it down. People are always trying to breathe deeply. I find that causes a little bit more tension, a little stress sometimes. Really? Yeah, trying to breathe deep. You, sometimes you're up in your chest and whatnot rather than down in your diaphragm. But anyway, point being slower, exhale longer, and drop the shoulders and loosen oh. up. So being able to do that for, you know, if you have five seconds, just breathe it out. And when you're trying to slow it down, in through the nose, out through the nose if you can, or if not, certainly in through the nose and out through the mouth, but like it's through a straw. You're trying it. Yeah. Because then it just slows everything down and you can start to think, oh yeah, shoulders down, exhale longer. 
get all that out so you can get nice oxygenated breath in. It balances, balances the breathing. And that's the best thing you can do in a quick moment and get good at it. You can practice it anywhere, anytime, and people don't even know you're doing it. I'm doing it right now. And the rest, of the, pod, the, rest of the podcast is just going to be even, even better than before. <laughs> Here we go. So here's, and, and I need your coaching on this. Here's what I do. For example, I do a lot of public speaking. I, I've always thought about, okay, what can I do to get a little more chill, just relax a little bit. And so I've, I've, I've studied what comedians do before they go on stage and all this. And it's all over the board, Dana, as you know, but I, <laughs> the last time I was going on stage, a big, big meeting, I was backstage where no one could see me and about 10 minutes before I go on stage and I was doing incline pushups because- yes. Well, sometimes people need their, their tension so high, they need to dissipate it. And it's like an endurance athlete, maybe, right? Like you. Yeah. Sometimes in terms of your warm up, you have to get some intensity going to be able to settle everything down and get everything ready. Same thing with speaking, you know, charge up a flight of stairs, do some lunges, do what you were doing. It's a great way to dissipate the energy and, and get the tension down. Because there's no, I don't know anybody who has said, oh, I'm just way too relaxed, you know, when I'm doing these things. They might say it, but that's basically uh, self-protection. Oh, yeah, I'm way too relaxed. It doesn't matter. I've got this. No, that's actually masquerading this tension. You need to breathe it out and maybe do a few push-ups to get everything back in order. For sure, right. it's a good strategy. Really good advice. One other question, a couple more uh, that are related to this is in your in your book, you talk about the difference between good routines versus superstitions. And what what is a good routine? And what's the power of that as we look at getting calm and staying dialed in? A good routine is really just having something constructive and productive to do to prepare to get that tension down and that mindset ready to get onto the task. That's really all it is. I hesitate with, you know, making sure that people always have a routine that they have to stick with. You just have to make sure that you have the the critical factors covered. Because mm -hmm. again, if you, I mean, I'm thinking of, a, of an NHL coach who I caught in the locker room, always standing for one minute exactly, you know, X number of minutes before he would go out, just standing there waiting till the clock. So I asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, it's my routine to get prepared. And I said, well, what are you actually thinking about? And he said, oh, well, I kind of drifted from that. I just stand there. And then he realized, oh, gosh, I'm not really connecting to what I have to do behind the bench or how to handle the refs. I'm just standing there. It's a routine, but it's rote and it's not helpful. So you mm. have to have a routine that you connect to that will help you do your thing. So there's, uh, by the way, there's also a quote I saw on your Instagram. It is, uh, remember to get calm so you can shift when you drift. Yes. And I, I love I love that quote. In other words, don't just be lazy about having a routine that, well, maybe it's a superstition. I don't know. But when mm -hmm. I used to play golf golf in high school, yeah, decades ago, Dana, but I still <laughs> remember my my routine was I used to hit top flight golf balls. I'm not sure if they still make them anymore. But the top flight needed to be facing me exactly the right way when I was on the tee, bo the tee box. And right. the result... Um, it never resulted very well, honestly, but I needed that. That was my routine. So is that just a superstition or is that, that sounds like a useless routine now that I talk about it. Well, it, people do it because it's a way to help calm them down. Perhaps So I have to do this it's because they're dealing with the anxiety of having to perform. So I'm always <laughs> saying superstitions. I don't like, I'm always pushing people away from superstitions because they are a way to handle our worries 
and our potential distractions. So it's a way to handle your anxiety. I would rather you think about more. If you, if you want to turn that logo, fine. That's sort of a, a low cost superstition. But I want the attention on, okay, how am I going to actually execute this well? Maybe I have to really think about hitting through the ball, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, yeah. right? I don't know there's, either. There's, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's, yeah, it wasn't a very good career. I'm, this is actually, this whole podcast episode is turning into my own private session with you. That's I love what it. That's what I'm gathering. But now, now here's the, here though, something that I just needed to talk to you about. You talked about character over talent. And there's a story there about how you work with organizations, but in this case, NFL teams, about how you look for potential and who's more likely to fail. I just found that fascinating. So how do you help identify talent and what's going to happen to them? How do you do it? Well, so I'm looking at the behavioral style of somebody. So again, you know, talent is great. But if you can't access that talent or you're not consistently able to get to it or you can't count on it in pressure moments, maybe it's not so helpful. So it's about your performance style. So when I go into a draft, I'm trying to find out, getting to know somebody and just trying to find out very quickly, are they going to be able to be disciplined enough? Can they see and understand other people's points of view? Will they listen? Are they, how forceful are they? Are they going to avoid conflict? How reactive are they? So I'm looking at all these things and most people are in pretty good shape, but there's a, a subset that I do classify as red flags. And those are the people that I am hired to help the organization avoid because they will damage their performance culture. You cannot count on them. They're not reliable. They will not access their talent like you think they could or should. And they cost you a lot of money in the end. So interesting. And I'm thinking about business now. I've never been in mm. the you've been. But when I'm hiring somebody... Uh, and I like them, I just want, I mean, my confirmation bias kicks in and I look for all the good. And yeah. even though I have a reference that says that periodically they do A, B, and C, and I, I always try to excuse that. And now in the book, you mentioned, you call it periodic bouts of good behavior. And you caution that don't just focus on the periodic bouts of good behavior. Tell me a little bit more about, about these red flags, because even if you're hiring somebody or team performance, but I think we can learn a lesson from you here. Yes. The the point of this is if you know that they have this in their history and the selection process shows that this is part of their performance style, they will falter in the big moments. Interesting. So they might be able to hang in for six months, but as soon as things don't go their way, you have to be careful and watch out because they no longer become concerned about other people that they have to work with, it all becomes all about them. And they basically misbehave. I mean, you know, I've seen CEOs, you know, well, they, they mess with numbers, they don't treat people properly, they take credit for things that they shouldn't, they, they become toxic. So as a parent, though, for all the parents listening, my, my kids are all gone They're I'm an empty nester. But I was thinking about when they were playing in sports, soccer was their uh, was their primary sport about how I communicated with them and um, <laughs> talking to you, I think, Oh my gosh, I should have listened longer and maybe communicated differently. Um, Cause usually what it was as they were leaving the car, I would say, go get them, play hard, you know, keep your head up. And it, how, how should parents 
dive into this and communicate differently with their kids to keep them dialed in. Any thoughts? Sure. Now, those things that you said, those are just fine because those are supportive and, you know, you're not being critical or anything like that. Now, sometimes we do need to be critical to help our kids push it and get to their level for sure. But I think sort of empty advice abounds with coaches, teachers, parents. Um, It's usually things like, uh, you know, well, try harder. Don't make mistakes. Uh, concentrate, trust yourself. What do those things even mean? I think we feel like we have to say something and we just go back to what we've been taught and heard in the day. If you can sort of keep it, positive is nice. I'm not saying it has to be positive, but it has to be constructive. If you're going to say something, help your kid execute, help them stay focused on something that's going to help them out there. You know, those are the types of things that we want, not just bossy, bossy parents telling kids what to do, you know? Yeah, I see it all the time. It's it's amazing. Okay, Dana, what is it that you would want the reader to think or do differently as a result of this book? What do you think? I think, I, I think it takes courage to try to be good at anything. And I think I would love to see people take a moment, really think about what gets in their way and try to make a change. Not change your personality. I don't mean that. It's not going to happen. But try to change for that moment where you think and want to be better. Think you could be better and want to be better. That I would love people to do. Because it's not that hard. It's just we push it away all the time because it's scary. Because what if I try it and I'm no good? Okay, well, then we, you know, that's self-protection. But really, if we try it, and have our focus on what to do, we usually do better and you're gonna be happier. So give it a go, I say. Great advice. Looking back over your decades of working with high performers, athletes, surgeons, et cetera, is is there a moment that just stands out as just probably like the coolest, just human moment that you've experienced kind of being in this world that so many of us have never experienced? Well, there's a few, but one does come to mind. At the Olympics, there was a very good racer who had, you know, he was on the world stage. He had trained really hard, of course, in terms of the mental side of it. He had come back from a few years um, of training. He had, uh, was in a terrible ski accident at Kitzbühel and he almost died. And he came back to the international skiing downhill, like it's, it, it, oh. on, you know, the Super Bowl of skiing, really, speed skiing, and uh, alpine. And so I had worked with him through his his comeback on to the you know the hill that he nearly died on, and so I saw him at the Olympics. In the race, he was leading two turns to go. He was almost at the finish couldn't hang on to a turn, didn't finish. And he was actually winning. It would have been the comeback story of the century. Would have been unbelievable. So I guess what I'm getting to is the head coach the day before it said, now everybody, it's the Olympics. There's lots of emotions in the finish area. Just, you know, be aware of that. And I'm thinking in my exuberant youth, oh, come on, it's a ski race. I love this stuff. It's the Olympics. It's fun stuff. So my guy comes down in the finish, 
I see him, we both start crying just because I knew what he had done and what he'd gone through and what it took for him to get there. So that's pretty special. So these things stick wow. with you. No, no doubt. It's funny because when I was asking that question, I honestly, I, I anticipated an answer like, you know, it was, you know, when the so-and-so won the World Series or when you were that, the, but it really was completely different. I appreciate you sharing that story. Unbelievable. Well, there was another one when somebody did win the World Championships, and that was great too. Dana, what is the best way to follow you and to stay involved with what you're up to and learn more about you, about your services? Yes, well, Instagram at Dr. Dana Sinclair, and the website is drdanasinclair.com. Well, again, for everyone listening, though, wherever you are in your life, whether you work inside the home, outside the home, you're a professional athlete, healthcare professional, we all have these moments where we need to perform and we want to perform better. And, uh, you know, dialed in, this book is going to help us get there. Dana, um, last question. You know where I'm going. Every guest I ask, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? So I can't wait for this. You would dare us to do what to live a little bit better life? What do you think? Learn how to get a little bit calmer. Just soothe yourself. Get a little bit calmish in those moments. It will help immensely. But again, as I say, it takes courage to try to be good and to try to change it up in those tough moments. Don't leave it to chance. Take action. That is a great I Dare You challenge. And Dana, thanks for spending some time with us uh, to be able to talk about how we can become better. That is, you're talking right to the I Dare You podcast audience. And your insights are so sharp and all the stories really made a difference. And by the way, so yeah, I have a big speech in May. And so if you could just come backstage with me and just help me with some deep breathing, could you do that for me? I would love to see your preparation. <laughs> all right, we, we will talk offline. Thanks for being here, Dana. Darren, I've loved it. Thank you so much. Okay, that was Dr. Dana Sinclair. I hope you enjoyed getting to know her as much as I did in this interview. Loved making this connection with her and the insights she shared about how we can get calmer and how we can do our best when it matters most. What an important topic. So what will you do today? Not next week or next month, but in that very next high-pressure situation, which for some of you, you're driving into work or maybe it's coming up later today, what are you going to do to try to get a little bit calmer? I invite you to practice some of these things that you heard in this interview. And one of the things I enjoyed about this interview was the discussion about character over talent. We all know extremely talented people who also lack character. And that reveals itself in these high-pressure moments. Whether we're on sports teams or whether we're in corporate America, maybe you're hiring for a very important position. And yes, we need talent. Let's also give character its due. Thanks for listening to episode 110. There are so many options in digital media and podcasts. There are millions of podcasts, and you found your way to I Dare You. And that is not lost on me. I appreciate you so much, not only listening and sharing with your friends and family. Speaking of which, who are you going to share the episode with right now? Anyone who you think might want to become better at high-pressure situations or just to become better at what they do, this episode is for them. So take that step. If you wait any longer, you're going to forget about it. And remember to join us on Instagram at I Dare You Pod. Great community. So many of you are already there. And man, the content we're sharing, including video excerpts of all of our interviews, including this one with Dr. Dana Sinclair. And then get ready for episode 111. We have another fantastic episode queued up. And I will see you back here next week on I Dare You Podcast. I'll meet you there.